Let us pray for our catechumens. Then will I speak, sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered again among the sons of thine adoption. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me pull up my notes. So, uh, two classes ago, I think that was three weeks ago, two classes ago we talked about who is the Holy Trinity. Um, and then last week we talked about who is Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about how we got to that. Um, how did we, how did, how, how is the church settled on doctrine? Um, so the, the way we do that is through councils. So Steve and Metropolitan Savas are going to tell us about councils. Hey everybody, this is Steve, and the church isn't a one-man show. Last week, bishops from around the world met in Istanbul for a really important meeting. They gathered to pray and worship together, of course, but also to discuss the state of the church and to prepare for a really historic event, next year's Great and Holy Council, when representatives from all the Orthodox churches from all over the world will gather to discuss what's going on in the church and to work on difficult problems. You may have noticed that in the Orthodox Church, we get really excited about councils, which sometimes confuses people. After all, isn't the church just run by a single bishop? To clear up some of that confusion, I thought I'd ask a bishop, His Eminence Metropolitan Sapos of Pittsburgh. Hello to you, Steve, and to all the believers out there. It's a bit of a mistake to say that any bishop runs the church. And to know why, we have to understand what the church is. The church, as mentioned in past episodes, is the body of Christ. We are all members of this body, arms and legs and hands and feet, each with our own job to do. But only Christ is the head. When Christ ascended 40 days after the resurrection, he didn't simply leave the Holy Spirit to particular people. He left it to the church, his body, gathered together. This togetherness is important. Not only do we pray together, but we work through our problems together as councils, just as the church always has. In fact, one council was even recorded in the Bible. That's right. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, we read about the Apostolic Council of Jerusalem and how the first Christians dealt with the disagreement they had. The church was drawing lots and lots of new converts, including people who, unlike Christ and the apostles, had never been Jewish. So the disagreement was whether these new Christians had to follow the Jewish law. At that time, James, known as the brother of the Lord, was the bishop of Jerusalem. Yet he did not answer the question on his own. Instead, the apostles and elders of the church came together as a body. As we read in Acts, after much dispute, Peter and then Paul and Barnabas spoke and described how God was sending the Holy Spirit to all peoples, both Jew and Gentile, and working wonders in them. It's only then that James, the bishop of Jerusalem, spoke. He repeated the wise words of the apostles who spoke before him, saying that it wasn't necessary to burden non-Jewish converts with the requirements of the law. He even quoted the Old Testament to show how the faith they preached was rooted in Scripture and fulfilled the prophecies that God would call all people to him. So, did James announce this decision as his own, since he was the bishop? When we go back and look at the book of Acts, we see something beautiful. We read a letter saying that Gentile converts did not need to follow the entirety of the Jewish law. But this letter did not simply come from James. Instead, 
came from the church. It says here that the apostles and the elders wrote that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to only require certain laws of the new Christians and not things like circumcision. That language is so interesting because it wasn't a decision of only one leader of the church or even of a group of leaders of the church. Instead, we see cooperation not only among people, but between us and God. We see the church, the body of Christ, working with the Holy Spirit because we, as the church, are full of the Holy Spirit. In the centuries to come, whenever faced with disagreements over the faith, the church came together in councils, not to reason or argue, but to allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in them and guide them to the truth. For example, Archbishop Demetrius presides over the Eparchial Synod that guides the Archdiocese of America. Just like His All Holiness Patriarch Bartholomew presides over the Patriarchal Synod, that leads the Church of Constantinople, of which we are a part. Together, as a synod, we reflect upon the challenges that we face as a church in this place and this time. And we pray that the Spirit will guide us to find the appropriate solutions to difficult problems. We seek to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and God's will, because we seek not to rule, but to serve. It's incredible that so many bishops met in Istanbul for the Synaxis, and it's unbelievable that we're less than a year away from the Great and Holy Council, when the entire church will come together to work on the challenges and the problems that we all face. It's a historic event centuries in the making, yet we should remember that this conciliar spirit isn't just for faraway places like Istanbul. It should shape the way we live our lives on a daily basis, whether we're leading our Goya or OCF or the real group in our parish or otherwise volunteering in the church. We should remember that our leadership and our strength is grounded in Christ. It's not our job to solve problems or settle disputes on our own authority, but rather to open ourselves up to be guided by the Holy Spirit together so that the timeless truth of the Christian faith can be expressed through us, the body, Christ. Our goal in the church isn't to dominate or take charge, but rather to work together to share the good news. For each of us to offer our talents to the glory of God. As you've mentioned before, Steve, our goal is to offer ourselves, each other, and our whole lives to God. To live Eucharistic lives of thanks and offering. Not just on Sunday, but all day, every day. To live humble lives of cooperation and service stepping out of the way of ourselves to allow God to work through us. That's something we can all do wherever we are as we come together in peace and fellowship to serve each other and to serve our Lord. So let's be the deed and humbly work together so the Holy Spirit can work in us. Be the deed and believe orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe and share. I'll see you all. Hey, wait. You said I could do that. So, uh, yeah, imagine how much more difficult evangelism would be if we required circumcision. <laughs> so, <laughs> TMI. <laughs> All right, so that is Be the Bee number 78 for if you want to watch at home. Um, 
And so let's talk about what is a council uh, or a synod. A synod is another name we use for council. The Greek is uh, synodos, all right? Um, it's the word, and, and the word synod is not just used by us. Uh, what's another denomination famous for using the word synod? Synod. Synod, S-Y-N-O-D. Well, the Lutherans. Hmm? The Lutherans. They have Wisconsin synod, Missouri synod, you know, whatever. So that's, this, is a, this is an ancient word. It means council, right? So what kinds of councils do we have? What kinds of synods do we have? Valid and invalid. <laughs> <laughs> and how is that determined? There's there's an interesting question about how that's determined. Um, is it there's there's the theory of receptionism, which says, you know, after a synod is held, then then history and, and the church then determines the validity of it, or is it actually by their declaration? Is it is it uh, valid? Um, the Roman Catholic definition is, did the Pope participate? Did he bless it? So, um, but we'll actually cover that. Um, so there are, there are various kinds of synods. So for, one, uh, for example, he talked about in the Greek archdiocese, they have the eparchial synod or archdiocesan synod, which consists of all the bishops in the United States. Okay? And it's headed up by Archbishop Demetrius. Uh, then they have the patriarchal synod in Constantinople, uh, which is headed up by His All Holiness uh, Patriarch Bartholomew, of which our, our Archbishop Demetrius is a member of that synod. In fact, they've gone now to rotating the members of that synod, so several of the American bishops usually sit on that synod at, a, at the same time. Um, in our church, we are not part of the Church of Constantinople. We are part of the Church of Antioch, right? So we have an archdiocesan synod, and we have a patriarchal synod. Our archdiocesan synod is consists of our bishops, like Bishop Basil and Bishop John, and is headed up by Metropolitan Joseph. Joseph. Yes, okay. So then Metropolitan Joseph um, sits on the patriarchal synod, which is headed up by Patriarch John, Okay. Patriarch John uh, uh, became patriarch after the death of Patriarch Ignatius IV. Um, Patriarch John, his brother is, uh, we pray for his brother every Sunday because his brother is one of the two archbishops that we pray for that were kidnapped by either ISIS or somebody several years ago. So when we pray for Patriarch Halton, Paul Yazigi, that's the patriarch's brother. And what happened was the two archbishops went to negotiate for the release of a priest and instead themselves were kidnapped. So, there are permanent synods like the Archdiocesan Synod, the Patriarchal Synod, but then there are also uh, one-time synods, one-time councils, okay? And it's those one-time councils, for example, in here they talked about we're going to have the Great and Holy Council. Well, they had it but it didn't go off as planned because um, our church, Antioch, and Jerusalem did not participate because of a dispute over uh, the church of Jerusalem has set up a, a bishop in what is considered the territory of the Patriarchate of Antioch. So um, at the time, we were not in communion, and therefore it kind of and the Russians didn't really want to participate because they don't want to acknowledge that Constantinople is senior to Moscow. 
even though they outnumber them a million to one, pretty much. So, um, so it didn't go off as 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 well as one hoped. There, everyone had great hopes that the Great and Holy Council, once convened, would settle several questions, such as the calendar and things of that nature. They came out with some nice statements, and that was about it. So, um, so. Councils and synods, what do they do? Well, for example, our Holy Synod in uh, the United States, our Archdiocesan Synod, um, the bishops come together to discuss uh, the running of the Archdiocese. Um, various things in, in terms of policies and procedures and things like that. Um, and, and what should be the norms for uh, the clergy, for example, or how a liturgy should be celebrated and things of that nature. Um, Larger councils, like the councils uh, where you have multiple churches involved, usually ended up doing two different kinds of things. One, they talked about doctrine, what do we believe, and two, they did administrative work, the, the canonical work of, of what kind of regulations do we have in the church, things of that nature. So we'll cover some of that. They talked about, it's not... It's not the people who gather and they, they kind of impose their own will on the council. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to follow the, the will of the Holy Spirit. So councils are always surrounded by prayer. Um, they open and close with prayer. They have liturgy together, things of that nature. But, uh, for example, they mentioned the Apostolic Council of Jerusalem. So how did the Holy Spirit guide that council? Does anybody remember? Okay. So what the Council of Jerusalem was about was, like he said, whether they should impose the full weight of Jewish law on converts. Because they were getting Gentiles who were coming in and saying, I believe I want to be baptized. So does anybody remember what happened? And, and Peter was on the side of the Judaizers, as they were called. And Paul said, no, no, we need, you know, the Gentiles should be able to come in. Um, which was kind of a switch because Paul was a Pharisee. If you remember, before he before he literally saw the light um, and became became Paul. Um, so what happened? Anybody remember what happened to change Peter's mind? He had a vision of a great. It looked like a sheep being lowered from heaven, and it had all kinds of unclean animals. And my favorite verse in the Bible, it said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> and he's like, No, no, Lord, I can't eat anything unclean. He says, What I've determined is clean, you is clean for you. Right? And it happened three times. And then he went and he when he kind of came out of the vision, there were these three men standing there, and they said, We were told by a vision to come to get you and bring you to Joppa. And he went to Joppa, he preached to the Gentiles. The gift of the Holy Spirit came down on them in such a way that it was evident to everybody in the room. And, they, and the question then was, well, how are we, who are we to deny them baptism? So they were baptized. So this is how the Holy Spirit guided Peter to change his mind and say, you know what? Okay, I had a vision. God told me. We need, we need you know, Gentiles can come into the church without having to be Jews. What were the rules that they didn't have to follow? Circumcision. Right. Uh, kosher okay. diet. I mean, the full weight of... Of, of Jewish law in terms of, uh, you know, no work on the Sabbath, that kind of thing. Really? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing that, you know, there's uh, most everything that's followed by Orthodox Jews today is, is what the Pharisees and the... Because, you know, remember, uh, 
Jesus was confronting the Pharisees, and he says, which of you, if you have an ox that falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, won't pull him out? Well, the reason he asked was because work is forbidden on the Sabbath. So by the law, you weren't you were supposed to let him sit there and suffer or die because you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. But he's asked the Pharisees, none of you are going to let it die. So he said, then is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? So he healed on the Sabbath. So that's the full kind of weight of the laws that they would they would have imposed on on Gentiles. So um, now my phone. Went. Okay. So another there's a couple different ways that that the Holy Spirit has guided councils. Um, remember when they went to replace Judas? Mm-hmm. How did they do that? How did they determine who was going to replace Judas as an apostle? Didn't they all meet and then cast lots? They cast lots. They cast lots. One of my favorite ways that was explained to us, we were at the Fenar, we were in Constantinople, and in the patriarchal church of St. George is the tomb of one of the saints. And um, they were having a council there in Constantinople, and there were two competing doctrines that they couldn't figure out which one they should follow. So they had them both written on scrolls, they opened the tomb of the saint, and they put one in one hand, one in hand in the other hand. Then they closed the tomb, and they saw, sat watch so nobody you know, could mess with it. Later, they opened the tomb, and one of the doctrines was at the head of the saint, and the other was at the foot of the saint, meaning the one at the head is the one they should accept, and the one at the foot was the one that should be rejected. So, you know, there's no one set way that the Holy Spirit... in, in you know, influences us or, or, or is, you know, we expect the Holy Spirit to act in this way, right? Just like we say there's, you know, the seven sacraments, the, the, we call them mysteries for a reason is because we're not limited to seven sacraments. You know, any way the Holy Spirit acts in the world is a sacrament. It's a mystery. So, all right. So, the Orthodox Church is often referred to as the Church of the Seven Ecumenical Councils. Okay, so in addition to the standing synods of like the Archdiocesan Synod and the and the Patriarchal Synods, um, there have been various levels of councils throughout the history of the Church. There are local councils, there are regional councils, and there are ecumenical councils. Now, ecumenical councils usually aren't called ecumenical councils when they meet. They're usually recognized as such after the fact all right so for example they weren't going to call this a great what they called the great and holy council they weren't going to come out and call it an ecumenical council okay um we're called the church of the seven ecumenical councils because that's the ones that we hold um as necessary um many well our our oriental orthodox friends only recognize the first three right (laughs) Most uh, many Protestants and Anglicans only recognize the first four, right? The Roman Catholic Church recognizes, I believe, twenty-two, <laughs> because they count they count councils like Vatican I and Vatican II as being of the same weight and, and authority as ecumenical councils, right? So. Um, which is interesting because of the seven ecumenical councils that we recognize, uh, most of them consisted mostly of Eastern bishops, and in fact there's one that we'll cover where the Pope of Rome refused to participate. 
So, um, so for example, and, and not all the, the, the important decisions of the church come from ecumenical councils. For example, uh, she has a Bible here. Hold up your Bible. Okay? There are certain books that we hold as canonical, right? There are certain books that we, we reject, okay? They don't fall in our Bible. Um, does anybody know where that list came from? It came from a council, but it came from which one? Anybody know? It was the Council of Carthage. It was actually a regional synod. It wasn't an ecumenical council, but it was a regional synod held in Carthage in North Africa that later the church acknowledged its decisions as being um, good for the whole church. Okay, So they didn't go back and revisit it. They didn't have to have an ecumenical council kind of to ratify it. But they said, look, the Council of Carthage came up with the right solution, so that's what we're going to stick with. Okay, Now, that can also go the other way. There was a council that we've talked about the Filioque, remember? When um, it's the insertion of the words... Of, and of the Son, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, right? And so, as Orthodox Christians, we don't accept the Filioque and the, que- and the Creed. That, that came from a council in Toledo, Spain. They had a very good reason, they thought, for putting it in there, and it was because they were fighting Arianism. Um, but it led to some erroneous doctrines and things of like that, which continue to separate us and Rome. So, but the big ones that we're concerned with are... The ecumenical councils. Now, I'm going to go through them. I don't expect everybody to remember them. I don't expect everybody to remember the order or what years they were in. But what I want to get across is a sense of, I want you to hear some terms that you may be familiar with if, or may not be familiar with so that they lodge in your head. And if you ever do hear them again, you'll think, wait, I we talked about that. Okay. And again, if there is, you know, you do have some questions about something. Um, you can either ask me or you can consult the great theological reference, which is Wikipedia. So, <laughs> so let's talk about the first ecumenical council. The first ecumenical council, and, and all of these councils tended to be in um, Asia Minor, which we now know as Turkey. They were either in Asia Minor, and in fact, they were all there. Why was that? It was the center of the world. Constantinople was literally viewed as the navel of the world. Right? It was the imperial city. And in fact, we'll see in some of these decisions of the ecumenical councils how that rankled some other people, where um, they didn't like that fact. So, But Nicaea was the first, and it was in 325. Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay, so Nicaea. 325. Okay. And it was brought concerning Arianism. There was a bishop called Arius. Okay. Where have we heard of Arius? Where will we hear of Arius in about another month and a half? Who slapped him? St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas. Nicholas came in and said, I'm here to fight, I'm, I'm, I'm here to give gifts and slap heretics, and I'm all out of gifts. So, <laughs> right? 
So yeah, if you can picture Rowdy Roddy Piper as St. Nicholas, that's okay. But there were a lot of famous names that we now know. St. Athanasius was involved in this council. St. Nicholas was involved in this council. Basil the Great, Gregory the Theologian, Doctor, you know, all the saints that we, we recognize as fathers of the church, you know, go back to these ecumenical councils. This is where they made their names. Um, not that that's what they were setting out to do, but that's what they did. Okay. So Arius was very popular. And he had, he was, he was, uh, you know, at that time, we talk about, you know, when we're, we're having discourse and things like that, we talk about, oh, the administration or, you know, what's going on in the Middle East. People talked about theology the same way in the streets. There were riots over theology in the streets, okay? So Arius was very popular, and he had this, his followers had these little sing-songs that, that they would sing as they went through the streets, and, and they were popular. So um, his, main, his main little slogan was, there was a time when the sun was not. Okay? Which meant that, that Arians believed that the son was not eternally begotten of the father. He was not fully, you know, the trinity was not fully what we understand it to be. Um, so uh, this was a great, there was great division in the church over this. To the point where Emperor Constantine, who had legitimized Christianity finally said, enough is enough. This is dividing the empire. So he, as emperor, summoned all the bishops to Nicaea and said, fix this once and for all. Well, we know how those once and for all fixes go, but we'll talk about that as we proceed through the next few councils. <laughs> but this was, this was the one where Arius himself was there. This was the one where Arianism was, was, uh, was, was really discussed. Okay, and it came down to um, a word that they finally, that had been used by some of the Gnostics, but, but they finally adopted as the, the formula by which we describe uh, Christ. And it is homoousios, right? We've talked about this word. It means same essence, of one, being of one substance with the Father, okay? We talk about the Nicene Creed. Right, the Nicene Creed, most of it came out of this council. It, that's that's the response of this council was to compose the Nicene Creed. All right, it came to us out of this council in 325. All right, have you ever heard the the the, the expression one iota of difference? Okay, this is iota. Right, the other competing term that Arians wanted to use was. Homoousios. Guess what the difference is? One iota. iota. (laughs) (laughs) This is where that that comes from in the fourth century. One iota of difference. Okay? And so this meant of similar substance. Right? And they were okay with that. This was they were trying to compromise because, you know, nobody likes an argument. But they stuck to their guns and, and adopted homoousios, all right, which is what we still... But, but yeah, if you ever hear the thing, one iota of difference, fourth century, that's where it comes from. These two words and this ecumenical council. So we're going to erase that one because it's bad. <laughs> okay. So, uh, 
So this is where the, the, the Holy Trinity was actually defined as three persons, or the, the term we'll use is, is hypostasis. Uh, hypostasis was the Greek. But if you ever hear that term, hypostasis, it's, it's person, three persons of the Holy Trinity. So that's, that's where that came from. The second council was, because of course no one council finally solves all the problems. The next council was the first council of Constantinople. It's always nice to have a city named after yourself, right? <laughs> call it Constantinople one, and that was in 381. Okay. Now, so what it covered were two semi-Aryan heresies called uh, Macedonianism and Apollinarianism. And these were still two heresies that were really trying to say, well, it's not really, you know, because they were still struggling, struggling with the question that Deacon Ken came up with today is, God became man. How does that work? In fact, a lot of these councils are dealing with that question because it's so incomprehensible to our minds that God became man, could empty himself, become a man, live among us, die among us, that they were coming up with, trying to come up with explanations for it other than God, you know, Jesus was truly God and truly man. They were struggling with how that worked, okay? So these were two more heresies that, that popped up. So in the creed, we say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. Those two sections came from the Council of Nicaea. When we say then, and I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from that, that section, that came from Constantinople. That came from the, this council 50 years later. Okay? So technically, it's the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed. That's why you'll see it called that. It's because the creed as we know it today came out of these two ecumenical councils. The councils after that, almost every one of them said, oh, and by the way, the creed that came was, was derived at the first two, that's permanent. That's, it can't be changed. Okay? Can't be changed. Which is why everybody in the East was really upset when some regional council over in Spain tries to insert a word into the creed, namely the filioque. Because all the other councils had said, this can't be changed. So... That was Constantinople one. Alright? Then comes another big one. Then comes the council at what year was it? Ephesus. In four thirty-one. Okay. And the big controversy at this one was a bishop called Nestorius. Okay? Nestorianism. Nestorius still didn't get it. He still didn't believe that, that the eternally begotten Son of God could become man um, and be born a, a, a human baby. So, the controversy was, what he was trying to say was, well, okay, so Jesus was born, and then at some point after he was born, then God came into him and he became the Son of God. 
All right. So there were two competing the terms at this one. One was the one that the one that he liked was Cristo Tocos, which meant Christ. Mary. And we're talking about Mary now. That Mary was the Christ bearer. Christ meaning what? The word Christ comes from the same word as chrism. It means anointed, right? means Christ is the anointed one. Jesus Christ is Jesus the anointed one, right? Instead, what the church was saying was, no, she was Theotokos. It's funny, at seminary there was a, a girl, her name was Krista, and she married uh, another guy at seminary, his name was George Dokos. So we called her the Christodokos. <laughs> so, but what this was was now, even though these are referring to Mary, remember we've talked about everything that Mary, refers to Mary actually refers to Christ. Okay, so this was this is saying that Jesus was the Son of God, eternally begotten before He was born. Right. This one says, well, Jesus was born as a human being, but then somehow God came into him and became, and, then, and he became Christ, right, the anointed one. So the church rejected this one and said, no, fully God, fully man, and that makes Mary the mother of God, okay? You will see, this, this is the term that we use most often in orthodoxy to refer to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, there are some other terms that you will see. One is, you'll see on icons, you'll see this kind of, uh, it's, okay, yeah, with squigglies over the top, okay, this is, this is um, mother of, of God, Theu, right, so in Latin that's Mater Dei, Okay, and in Church Slavonic, it's Bogoroditsa. <laughs> Bogoroditsa. There's a whole series of different icons called Bogoroditsa, and you have to know which Bogoroditsa it is. Okay, there are various different icons of the Blessed Virgin. My favorite one is called um, the Portatisa, the doorkeeper. All right. We have a copy of it. It's in the sacristy, and it shows the Blessed Virgin Mary, and she's got a gash on her cheek. Okay. What happened was, um, at the Great Lavra on Mount Athos, if you ever see pictures of the, 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 the monasteries there, they're fortresses, and they were built as such. They are fortresses, okay, because they're, they're mountain fortresses, and because the monasteries had treasures. They still do, all right? And pirates would kind of try to come and try to take their treasures, whatever. So there was one episode where uh, pirates came to the Great Lavra. Well, they had no weapons to defend themselves or anything else like that. So they marched outside carrying the icon of, of the Blessed Virgin, who is the protectress of Mount Athos. The reason no women are allowed on Mount Athos is because it's protected by the Virgin Mary, and she's the only woman they ever need. <laughs> Okay, so they carried this icon out, right? The pirate captain saw them, and he laughed. He took out his sword, and he slashed the icon. 
and it began to bleed. The pirates fled in terror. Later, the pirate captain came back and became a monk at Great Lover. Okay? It is. So that's why in that particular icon, she's depicted with a slash on her cheek, is because when they, this pirate captain slashed it, she bled. And they're like... So, so this is the council where she was proclaimed Theotokos, mother of God. And it's, again, it's not about her, it's about her son. It's saying that her son was the, the incarnate word of God. He wasn't anointed by God after he was born. He was born the incarnate word of God. Okay? Everybody's getting hungry. No. We have two more big ones and a couple small ones. All right. So, the next one was actually a big one. It's called Chalcedon. Okay? And these are towns. You can go to Chalcedon. You can go to... Um, Nicaea, it's now called Iznik. Um, <clears throat> we actually, I was able to go to the church where they held the second council of Nicaea. Uh, it was in ruins at the time. Unfortunately, now they've turned it back into a mosque. The council of the church where they held the first ecumenical council is now, because of the earthquakes in the region, it's underwater. It's in a lake. So, um, this is the council at Chalcedon where we talk about it's, it's sometimes called Eutychianism, after Eutychius, because all of these are named after the, usually the, the original person who promoted it, or Monophysitism. Monophysitism. There we go. I lost my way halfway through the word. Okay, so Monophysitism, what is that? It means one nature, okay? Christ had, this was the argument, did Christ have one nature that was just divine, he wasn't really human? Or did he have two natures, divine and human, but they were united, they were they, with, and without, without confusion, actually is the phrase we use. Um, and they operated in sync. Okay, so the monophysite said, well, he can, couldn't possibly have a, divine, a human nature because then he'd be sinful like the rest of us. No, he had a perfect human nature. It's ours that's broken, and we're trying to restore it to his. All right? So they rejected monophysitism. Okay? Unfortunately, there was... Remember we talked about communications back then were by ship, and it took months to get messages back and forth and this, that, and the other? And there had been messages back and forth between Cyril of Alexandria and Leo the Great of Rome. Right, and they were using the term persons. Well, unfortunately, it sounds like what we think they happened was they were using different meanings for the same word. Okay, so this is the actual council where um, the what we now know as the Oriental Orthodox churches. Okay, they weren't really Monophysite; they were Miaphysite, which. It's a different um, difference in emphasis, but this is where the great misunderstanding, I like to call it, came about. Okay, so this is where our Coptic brethren, our Armenian brethren, split off from us. They know they don't recognize this council or any after it. Okay, so now if I go talk to a Coptic priest, he'll he and I will be in agreement on on things. 
okay? But it's just because of the fact that there was misunderstandings in communication and a difference in emphasis in one school versus the other uh, that we have this still unfortunate split. This is why this split is the closest we have to he being healed, I think, in the next hundred or so years of, uh, of any of them. So that's where these, the, the Oriental Orthodox split off. Okay. Three more, we're done. Okay. Well, three and a half. I'll get to that. <laughs> okay. So then came Constantinople. Constantinople. It's just fun to write. Two. And that was in 553. This one sounds kind of strange when you read about it. Because... They were going after three dead guys. <clears throat> it's known as the three chapters. And there were three bishops that they were trying to determine after their deaths if they had been Orthodox or not. Okay? But it was, it was again, they never called a council unless there was great controversy. And this actually had some controversy because the views of those bishops had spread in various areas and were, were popular... But the rest of the church is like, we don't think so. Okay? So they met to determine whether their writings and their teachings were orthodox, even though they were already dead. Okay? So the three chapters is one of the things that this deals with. And then the other thing that it dealt with was um, Origen. Origen was a priest, he was a great writer of the church. Um, there's a reason he's not known as a saint, though. He was never beatified. He was never canonized. Because he castrated himself. Um, and the church had said, don't do that. His thought was, if you know, Jesus said, if you're right, I... If... Wisdom. Wisdom. His thought was, you know, if Jesus said, if your right eye offends, pluck it out. Well, that wasn't what he was afraid of offending. So he had himself castrated voluntarily. And so the church has never recognized him as a saint. We recognize some of his writings as being very important, things of that nature. But again, with all of these fathers, there are writings of, of fathers that we, we recognize as saints and, and, and venerate that we reject. Okay? None of them were perfect. The only perfect human being was Jesus Christ. So all of these fathers, they sometimes wrote things that the church says, okay, we're just going to leave that over there. Okay? Again, and, and the same was true with Origen. Origen had a lot of great writings, but some of his writings, the one specifically that was dealt with by this council, was he talked about the pre-existence of human souls, which the church rejects. We don't think that a body is created and a soul is allocated from a bank and put in a body, right? Only body and soul, you know, that the, they're together, a creation. So that, that came and then said, Origin, you're wrong on some of this stuff, okay? Now, what I failed to mention is, and I meant to do it on the last one, at Ephesus, for example, one of the things I talked about was that um, councils dealt with two different kinds of topics. One was doctrinal, right? That's what we've been talking about here. 
but they also did administrative things. Uh, for example, they talked about, um, at the third council, they said the Church of Cyprus is not can, is, is independent of the Church of Antioch. Okay? At this fourth council, at the fourth council, or no, sorry, at this fifth council, um, they talked about, actually, this is the one where um, the Pope was actually in Constantinople, and he refused to meet with them. And he tried to say, well, you can't meet without my permission, right? The doctrine of papal supremacy. So guess what they did to him? They threw him in prison. <laughs> Later, he said, oh, wait, I guess I was wrong. I had bad advice. <clears throat> and uh, he, he adopted these things. But, but even at these early times, Rome was still, Rome was upset that Constantinople had taken its place as the center of the universe. Okay, the title of the Patriarch of Constantinople is he is the Patriarch of Constantinople and New Rome. Okay, you'll hear people talk about the Byzantine Empire. There's no such thing. The Byzantine Empire never existed. The Byzantine Empire was the Roman Empire, the continuation of it. If you asked somebody back then about the Byzantine Empire, they would have looked at you funny because they were the Roman Empire. If you go to Constantinople or to Damascus today, you ask to be taken to the Roman Patriarchate, Rum Patrichanesi, right? They're not going to take you to the Vatican people, right? Those are the Latines. The Romans are us, okay? If someone asks you in Arabic, what church are you? You say, Rum, Roman. We are the Roman church. Orthodox, no, it's only in the West where we're known as Greek Orthodox or whatever. In the East, we are Rome. We are Roman. As opposed to? Latin. Which is? The, the Vatican people. Oh. Right? So the Roman Patriarchate is our Patriarchate. So that's what... Um, so people were upset. Rome was increasingly upset that they were being kind of shunted off to the side, that they're, they weren't being viewed as supreme anymore. Okay? So... One of the things then, okay, then let me let me get through the last two because I see we're running late. Um, Constantinople three. Matt in five fifty. No, sorry, six eighty. Okay, it dealt with monothelitism. This was the heresy that said, well, Christ wasn't truly human. He only had a divine will. He didn't have a divine and human will. Okay? The church rejected that. Mono, one, thela is will. Okay? So the church rejected that. Now, what happened, though, was after the, that, the fifth and sixth councils really didn't do any of the canonical work. They didn't do any of the administrative work. So there was a council then that met in 692. It's called the Quintessext Council. Latin meaning five and six. Okay, that was 692. They came and did a bunch of administrative work. Okay, the Catholic Church does not recognize this council. We recognize it as being part of the sixth council. It actually met in the same room 12 years later than this one. But a lot of the things that it came up with were 
they were trying to universalize some of the practices across the church. So one of the things they talked about was um, the West had, like we do, uh, we don't use the word Alleluia during Lent. Well, they thought that was wrong. Um, one of the other things was that, that Rome was adopting clerical celibacy at this time, that all priests had to be celibate. And they came out against that, right? That's not the rule in the Eastern Church. Um, so uh, Rome did not accept that one. We do. We, we view it as part of the Sixth Council because it finished the work of the Fifth and Sixth Councils. That's why it's called Quinisex, Fifth and Sixth. Okay? So the last one that we'll deal with that's viewed as ecumenical by the Orthodox Church is Nicaea II. And it's the one we celebrate on the Sunday of Orthodoxy. Okay? And it was in 787. Okay? So look at the time now. We've gone from 325 to 787, 400 years of councils. Okay? Anybody remember what this one was? Iconoclast, yeah. Yeah. Look at iconoclasm. Okay, and this is where, um, under the influence of the, the rising influence of Islam, which rejects all imagery of Muhammad and, and God and, and everything else, some of the Orthodox were saying, well, we can go along with that. But we don't. Because we are not iconoclasts, we're iconoclasts. Oh. Iconoduels, actually, some would say, or iconophiles. We like icons. Okay? So, that's the seven ecumenical councils. Do I, again, do I expect everybody to remember them all? No. But what I want you to understand is this is how the church deals with things. Just like they said in the video. This is how, you know, it's not one person in Rome saying, and I decree for the whole church that I am, I am without error. Okay? We reject papal infallibility which has ever only been used once, um, and was papal infallibility was, was, was come up with at the Vatican I Council in the 1870s. Okay? So, uh, all, all, you know, the decisions of the church don't flow from Rome. They don't even flow from, flow from one patriarch or one bishop. Okay? Our bishops, yes, they have their own diocese and all, but they all sit as part of a synod. They don't do anything without being in council. And certainly decisions for the whole church are never made without all being in council. And even then, it's not the patriarch who says, okay, fine, I've heard all the arguments. I say that it's going to be this. That's not how we work. We are a conciliar church. We are a synodal church. Okay? Because that's the way the apostles dealt with things, and that's the way the Holy Spirit guides us to deal with things. So... There's dissension in the synod. In, in other words, not all one accord. Is it majority? Hopefully not. Hope that comes Hopefully there's a consensus. That, that, that's, that's, but, you know, now, for example, if they go to elect a bishop, then it's the highest vote getter. That's the only way you can do it. Um, and the problem sometimes is if you have a majority, guess what the minority does? They go and schism. That happens in churches. That happens in parishes. You know, the big joke about the Baptist church is like, oh, you don't like the church you're in? Go across the street and start a new one. Mm -hmm. We try not to do that. We try to meet in council and we try to resolve things. And we try to, if we're on the, we're, if we're on the losing side of something, 
we try to understand why, and if that is truly the will of the Holy Spirit, and maybe it's us that's wrong. Okay? Now, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you have bishops who are sent into exile, like John Chrysostom. He was on the losing end of some arguments, but he was right. Right? He was, the iconoclast threw him out of town. I mean, he was in exile when he died. And then after he died, then the icon, the, the non-iconoclast, us, came back into power and restored him. I mean, they went and, that's a whole different story. So sometimes you take it as a temporary setback, sometimes, but it always, 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 we surround it with prayer and fasting and humility. Humility is a huge part of councils, whether it's a archdiocesan council or a parish council. So the ecumenical councils weren't necessarily decided um, unanimously? There was a lot of arguing. I'm sure, but ultimately... And, and there were... No, yeah, ultimately no. Ultimately no, they weren't. Because, because again, you had some people where they would go off and they would still try to spread their own, their own stuff. Um, you had robber councils. Okay, one of the ecumenical councils was held to undo a previous council that had been held, and then everybody realized it was wrong. Keep in mind what is every you know what's what's common with all these councils? They're only human. We hope they're guided by the Holy Spirit, and 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 people will meet in council and sometimes think they're guided by the Holy Spirit, but only find out you know as history proves them wrong. Well, that was a robber council. Okay, so I thought the majority of the councils were held to to, uh, to fight any kind of heresy, like they only really came about. They did put down a, a heresy. Well, they did, and that's the ecumenical councils. But there are always councils going on. Yeah, but I mean, you know, right? Whether they're an archdiocese council or whatever, but most, yeah, the big ones that we remember, the seven ecumenical <coughs> ones. Yes, and that's why I mentioned the heresy with each and every one of them, is because that's why they were convened. They were convened for specific purposes. Kind of like a special session of the legislature. You know, they can't, during a special session of the legislature, they can't talk about just anything they want. The governor gives them a list of things and says, here's what you're going to talk about. Most of these were convened by the emperor because the emperor was tired of dissension in the streets and he wanted it fixed. That's what helped form the church as it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. We see the Holy Spirit behind this, but I'm sure in the midst of it, it was really hard <laughs> to mess. see the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It was really hard to see the Holy Spirit, and so that's that's a lesson we take when we're in our own, in the midst of our own dissension and problems and everything else. You know, we trust that the Holy Spirit's behind it. We understand that there's we're dealing with us as flawed human beings. You know, that's one of the, I talked about paradoxes. One of the great paradoxes, my favorite paradox, is the Church as the body of Christ is by definition perfect because Christ is perfect, but yet. It's made up of imperfect people like me. How does that work? By the Holy Spirit. Only, only God can fix that. So, any questions, comments? A lot of stuff I know. Don't worry about it. But, but understand the process. Understand the process that sometimes church history is ugly. <laughs> ugly. That's the way it goes. So, all right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.